Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasana mortassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasana mortassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Aparuta de Sangamatasatawara ye Sorawanta Bamunchantu Satang. So this evening, uh, my, uh, I'll be leaving for uh, the United States on Thursday. So, uh, take this opportunity to reflect on Dhamma and it's uh, I keep you know when I think about what I'm what I should say I always think I say the same thing anyway but uh, so when I think about it then I then I think I don't have anything more to say but actually the, the point is to come from the here and now, rather than planning a, a, a Dhamma talk <clears throat> and telling you and informing you how you should practice, what the, how things should be or shouldn't be, what's right and wrong, what's good practice and bad practice, and on and on like that. So it's... Um, coming from the, what we call the emptiness, or from mindfulness. Now, the cultivating or pavana is, is recognizing this and cultivating it through, through one's life. And of course, it, it's very difficult to teach this because it's not something that, you know, you can grasp. You can understand maybe the language or get the ideas. But then a lot of people understand on that level but uh, can't get beyond it because they, they think, they believe, they know, they understand Dhamma. Where when we approach it from the here and now, just this, uh, this sense of listening, open attention, For me, it's a, just a, a sense of, of uh, waiting, listening, rather than planning and, and expounding and, and uh, telling. So even the idea of being a teacher now doesn't really, you know, I realize it's a convention, but I'm, there's nothing to teach. and nobody to teach anything to. Now when you start think, grasping those ideas, then uh, you, know, you start grasping the, these kind of words, and, and there's a you know, there's this thing that you shouldn't even meditate, that even practicing meditation is, uh, is deluding. So then people grasp the idea that you shouldn't meditate. And then there's people that grasp the idea that you should meditate. You see what I mean? It's all about thoughts 
opinions, views, right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. So on the, this is where the, the thinking process is made out of language. You know, so it's, and language itself is, is uh, something that we need to understand and not, no longer be limited and bound to thinking or language, but to open to the presence, to listen, and listen to oneself thinking. So in this sense of you should meditate or you shouldn't, or you've got to get samadhi or you don't have to, Whatever, you know, you're thinking, it, uh, in Ajahn Chah's conundrum of it's true but not right, right but not true. Because that's the level of conditioned phenomena. Uh, all conditions are impermanent. And so, they, you know, they arise and they cease and they change. So there's no absolutes in the conditioned realm. There's nothing absolutely right or wrong, true or false, good or bad. And yet we can grasp the idea of moral absolutes and righteous absolutes and, and uh, we can grasp the idea of, of a condition that's absolute. So therefore the emphasis on mindfulness, sati sampajanya, is awakened consciousness, which is uh, not something you, you do as a person, you can't make, in other words, when you try to become mindful, you'll, you'll miss the point. And that as I've got to be mindful, or I'm not mindful enough, it's is all about thinking, creating ideas, the belief in a self, that my personality is basically what I am, or my history, my memories, they're all mine and I have a soul that's mine and that I've got to get something that I don't have yet or I've got to get rid of my defilements and my faults. So that's why I keep emphasizing over and over this sati sampachanya, the Pali words for apprehension or apperception it's an inclusive, intuitive, conscious awareness in the present that is not about thinking. So when you think about that, you'll just get terribly confused. So instead of trying to figure it out, uh, observe, be the observer of your own thought your own emotional habits, your feelings, uh, not, not with, a, with any critical, not, not to, uh, you know, add to them with uh, adjectives like right and wrong, good or bad, but they are what they are. Dattana, the way it is.
on the ten-day retreat that I just taught, you know, I was trying to re- re- repeat this over and over again because it's not that anyone, you know, it's not something you grasp, but uh, we're so, it's such a different, it's a totally different way of of uh, experiencing because you know the unawakened ignorant human being experiences life through conditions through love and hate like and dislike through fear and anger through greed Uh, so that we our lives are you know this realm of dukkha that we create endlessly because we with this conditioning process starts after birth and and uh, you know the older you get if you never wake and never uh, see what's happening you're just the conditions get uh, just deeper and deeper I mean the ruts of conditioning become deeper it's hard to pretty soon you're, you're just locked into into the limitations of habitual th- thoughts habitual emotional reactions, habitual attitudes, assumptions that you can't see beyond, you can't get above or transcend, you're merely locked into ruts of conditioning. So this is the misery of, uh, you know, the hell realm really, or the sangsara. At best it can be, you know, if you have some fairly good conditioning, you can experience uh, more happiness than if your conditioning isn't very good. If you're just a critical, negative, angry, jealous, frightened uh, individual, then you 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 know you create you see the world through those perceptions, through negativity, through fear, through uh, your critical mind. Your critical mind is aimed at what's wrong, you know, trying to always emphasizing the flaw, the fault, the thing that's not right. The society we live in is like that, isn't it? It's a very critical society. So we, we know what's wrong and what's not right and how things should and shouldn't be. Now it is an, an act of faith and in the Pali words, the faith is uh, sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A, sadha, which means, it doesn't mean believing in or, uh, you know, having, holding to something that you believe in, that you, you, you don't quite know what it is, but you like the idea and so you believe in it. It's not that. Sadha is always a, the, a balance result of wisdom. So your panya, which is wisdom and sadha, faith, is changing, you know, the, the Pali words, translating them into English equivalent. <clears throat> well, wisdom uh, is an English word, but what do we really mean? What is wisdom? Because even though it's common enough uh, word that all English speakers know, or they think they know what it means, or it can be used for worldly wisdom, or being clever, or, or having, you know, learned from experience. Uh, survival and, and things like this can, can give us a, a sense of 
wisdom, we know how to survive, how to get through life. How to get what we want or whatever. So there's, or is wisdom in this sense, of panya, in the Pali uh, term, panya translated wisdom is, uh, I like this word discerning. So it's not knowing about anything and knowing how to survive as an individual and, and how to win the, or uh, you know, what to do with, with yourself and the society and the world around you. It's discerning, uh, the, the ability of discerning means we know all conditions are impermanent. It's not a, a grasping of that as an idea. It's not a Buddhist belief, but it's through observing. So we discern conditioned phenomena uh, in whatever form, manifestation it happens to be in the present. Refined, of course, good or bad, subtle, vulgar, right, wrong, It's discerning, knowing conditioned phenomena is like this. And then in terms of, uh, of the here and now, each one of us is experiencing uh, consciousness through, uh, through this form, the, the human body. And then we have our habits, the conditioning that each one of us, uh, you know, has, the way we're, we think and the, the memories and views and opinions and that that we that, that we identify with, that are part of our conditioned process, our karma. So our relationship to that is knowing it is like this. It's discerning a conditioned phenomenon, whether it's subtle movement of, you know, like a sudden thought, a subtle thought or feeling um, through, through the senses, through eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, uh, Emotional states, subtle emotions, coarse, gross, refined, good, bad, right or wrong. So it's, a, it's discerning condition phenomena is like this. And discernment also is coming from unconditioned. It's not one condition observing another. So, you know, it's not me as a person observing my karma. Now that is, uh, that's not wisdom. So in this, in this way we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. These are formulas, conventional formulas in this particular style, the Theravada <coughs> Pali Buddhism. But it's not me, me uh, taking refuge in Buddha as a person in something, something called Buddha. Or I can do that, a lot of Buddhists do that. You know, I am a Buddhist and I take refuge in the Buddha. The Buddha is my Lord and guide and I am the Buddha's servant and on and on like that. 
on the, on the ego level, on the Sakyaditi level. Which I'm, sure I'm not criticizing it, but that's not wisdom. That's not discerning, that's merely grasping the ideas, which are quite good ideas. You know, Buddha in, as an idea is a very good idea. At least this is an opinion I have. I like the idea of Buddha as a person, my personality, emotionally. I like the idea, I like the idea of a Buddha. I like Buddhism, you know, as a convention. So I recognize that, but that's not Bhutang Saranangachami. So there's a kind of belief and trust and and appreciation of the idea of Buddha, but that's not going to liberate you because it's still, you know, filled with with the sense of I am somebody who takes refuge in in the Buddha. And then what is the Buddha here and now? And they well, I believe in there's a you know it's a Buddha nature, a kind of force in the universe that I believe in, a kind of energy. Or we go into abstractions like that. And, uh, you know, energy in the universe. Or we can think it's an actual uh, being, some kind of Buddha, uh, you know, living in outer space or in the Himalayas. You know, you can get into superstition, or you can think that that's the Buddha, that Buddha Rupa. It's filled with that Buddha energy. I know people like to look at it and they say, it, it just, whenever I look at the Buddha, image, I just feel this energy coming from it. It just, you know, it's so full of Buddha energy. And this is still thinking, isn't it? Seeing the Buddha as an object. And then, and then uh, seeing yourself as somebody who's receiving energy from that object. That's still Sakyatiti or the ego, the thinking process, I'm not criticizing it, but it is what it, it is like that. It's the conditioned realm. So discerning the conditions as conditions. And that's what we do with mindfulness. Sati Sampachanya, Sati Panya. So in this sense of discerning, it's not critical, like the thinking process is a critical function. So that's what, you know, this is when we talk about, they use the word dualism. You know, it's the, when you attach to ideas, to thoughts, to, you know, to, to this function, the thinking function, when you operate from that perspective then you are in a, in the, still in the samsara because it is about good and bad, right and wrong, big and small, day and night, and all the rest, all the different, you know, qualities, and refinement. Refine, a refined condition is, is more beautiful than a coarse, vulgar one, isn't it? So this is critical thinking. We should be good and, and moral. We should be 
take responsibility for our lives and be moral and righteous and good and kind. We should develop loving kindness and respect all living creatures. And this is, this is good. This is still thinking. So discerning that, discerning that even we, you know, good advice is still this way. It is discerning it as conditioned phenomena. Which is not dismissing it. It's not a rejection because it's not critical. It's recognizing. So you're actually witnessing, observing conditions. All conditions are impermanent. The faith and Gurani chant. So then the, the, then the refuge in the Buddha, Bhutang Ternangachami, instead of, of attaching to the words and the idea, you know, it's a, it's a reminder. For me, this Bhutang Ternangachami, it reminds me. Here and now, the way it is. Bhutto, mindfulness, in practical sense, taking the Thinking the word Buddha out of it is just being awake, alert, attentive. So this is called intuitive awareness in which, it are, as say, uh, differentiating intuitive, intuitive intelligence from intelligence acquired through the critical process. Knowing all about things. You know, being able to to use logic and reason, to an analyze, to criticize. Like uh, in modern society, in the Western science, we worship uh, reason as a human attainment. To be reasonable, it's reasonable, is, uh, you know, is usually a, a way we praise things, be reasonable. Don't be irrational, don't get emotional, be reasonable about it. And this is because reasonableness is, it's, a, it's you know, the ability to reason is a great gift. You know, it's a, you know it's a, it is a way of using conditioned phenomena intelligently. But it's still conditioned, you know, it's still sankara, and so we're discerning even reasonable ideas and all that are, they are what they are. Unreasonableness, being uh, emotional and unreasonable, uh, even having crazy thoughts, nonsense and rubbish, is still discerning it is, it is sankara. Sapay Sankara Anicca. You're discerning Sankara. You're, you're recognizing, knowing Sankara or conditions as conditions. Whether they're beautiful and refined, reasonable, right, or they're coarse and ugly, nasty, stupid, vulgar, wrong, crazy. So this is like refuge in Buddha, Puto, then is in, is in a, 
isn't uh, an idea anymore. It's just a reminder, like the Buddha Rupa here on the shrine is a reminder rather than, than something I, I believe has uh, uh, an energy that it radiates out to me. I, w I don't think, I don't want to hold on to views like that or make anything out of it. But I do notice it, uh, you know, coming in the temple, seeing the Buddha Rupa reminds me. Because we do forget. We get caught up into, the, into our habits and views and feelings of the moment and problems and that, that, that we're involved with in the, in the conventional world. So this is, this is what, you know, the word vipassana is another word that's used commonly these days. And it, it is about investigating, looking into, you know, all conditions are impermanent. You got the satipatthana, four satipatthanas, the four noble truths, the dependent origination, all these are skillful means to investigate so that we're, we're actually, you know, recognizing more and more we're confident, we have a confidence in knowing, in this direct knowing, not in knowing about or being an authority on Buddhism, but in knowing Dhamma, knowing that all conditions are impermanent, it's not believing it or assuming it, it's just knowing. And from that knowing, then that unconditioned, it's recognizing the cessation of conditions. Because thoughts arise and cease, emotions, feelings, sensory impingement, refined course, good or bad, they're, they're changing, they arise and they cease. When you let things go, let the conditions go, then their natures to cease, and there's a recognition of cessation. It's real. It's not theoretical anymore. It's not a belief, it's, it's reality. So reality is the deathless consciousness and our ability to be aware as a human being, this is our, this is the, the, the great gift of a human birth, is that we're not just meant to be clever, intelligent, reasonable animals, or specially divine creatures, but actually human, human uh, birth allows us to discern and see and know directly from the deathless, from the unconditioned. So in other words, that mindfulness, the path, the, the gate, the door is open to the deathless. And that is awareness, not as simple as that. Nothing complicated at all.
completely natural. It's Dhamma, it's the way it is, it's reality. And so, you know, when we think of death and, uh, you know, because we're involved, like there's a friend of mine that has been in an automobile accident in Thailand. He's, uh, uh, he's been on retreats with me in uh, Chiang Mai every year at Pongyang, and uh, he's very nice, very good person, uh, who I was very fond of, actually, uh, you know, personally. And uh, he was uh, in this uh, car accident. And then I found out today that he actually had a heart attack. Wasn't it a heart attack? And while he was driving. So, I mean, it, and he's uh, on kind of supportive machines when he's unconscious and probably won't, uh, his brain, supposedly brain dead, and, <clears throat> you know, they'll probably uh, just let him go eventually. But he's a man, maybe 50s, and uh, so, you know, you hear, you know, tune, tune is, is uh, very serious, uh, probably will die, is unconscious, I phoned today Thailand, and uh, is he any better? No, he's unconscious. There's not much hope, but they still wanted us to chant for him. So then on the level of conditioned phenomena, chanting, offering it for the welfare of Dun and things like this, this is, this is, this is good, you know, karmically wholesome activity. But whether we believe, you know, or try to figure it out, whether us chanting Parita here in Amravati is going to have any effect on Dune in Thailand, you won't be able to figure that one out. You know, you might have preferences, beliefs, you know, that we, we're sending these good vibes off to Thailand to the Wichiut Hospital in Bangkok. Hopefully to revive him and you'll come back normal person again, attend my retreat in Chiang Mai next year. <laughs> All that is uh, wishful thinking. It's discerning that, isn't it? So in our life as a human individual, as a samana, monk or nun is is, uh, you know, using the conventional forms. It's not in, you know, being, grasping them blindly, but in having forms that, that are wholesome, that are usable, are beautiful. But we still discern them as sape sankarani ta, sape tamanata, you know, you know, to identify, to be attached to being a monk or a nun, or, you know, to you cling to this identity. Or people feel they don't have to be monks or nuns. People have views, you don't need to be ordained as a monk or nun to, to become enlightened. And others have views that the only really way to do it is to ordain 
Now these are views and opinions. You know, these are sapetankaranicca. So in, in my own experience, you think there's no need to do anything but trust in this awareness. So this awareness, the mindfulness, is a natural state, natural, it's not created, it's not dependent. It's not something I create through concentrating my mind or through grasping any convention. The conventions that I've, you know, that I'm involved with, monastic Theravada conventions, used as reminders. A way to live in the world. A beautiful lifestyle. A, uh, you know, a, a kind of, um, I think, uh, to me, it's a very beautiful way to live as a human being in the in society. So it's uh, you know it's not anything I, you know, I don't I don't you know I'm so advanced now I don't need to be a monk. Thoughts like that has never occurred to me, or that I have to be a monk to be mindful. That doesn't occur to me. It's just not a problem. Because the refuge is in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, not in me as being anything, or, or the idea that I, I need to change you know, the convention, or the conceit that I'm beyond the convention. Or the conceit that I have to have the convention in order to be mindful. You know, these kind of conceits can arise in consciousness, but you're discerning them. The discerning, the sapesankaranicca, all conditions are impermanent. Then the unconditioned, it's knowing, you know, this is, this is reality. The unconditioned is, the rea- is reality. It's not some kind of metaphysical abstract idea. It's ultimate. It's sim- simplicity. It's, the, the, it's awareness. It's here and now. It's like this. It's not anything I can claim, you know, because it started, as soon as I start claiming, then it, I'm back into grasping the idea of I'm somebody that has the Dhamma or doesn't have the Dhamma. So you see, there's nobody, nothing to, to realize the Dhamma But the reality is the Dhamma here and now. And then the person we create 
is discerning it as Sape Sankarani Cha. Now these, uh, the Four Noble Truths, I find, is the most skillful teaching for investigating this. Because, when, you know, over the years, I needed to, is a skillful way of investigating my vipaka kama as I lived the life, as my kama ripened, as I, you know, took on responsibilities, uh, as I had to, you know, move from Thailand to England, or, you know, be an upachaya, a preceptor, or whatever. Uh, then things change, you know, people, uh, you know, likes and dislikes, and the separation from the loved, loss of the loved, having to be with things you don't like and don't want. All of this, uh, is, you know, is vipaka kama. You know, and I always wanted to live in a monastery where everybody was in harmony and where all supported each other toward Nibbana. This is a beautiful ideal. And we, we work together to support each other uh, with good sila and, and hard work, dedication, and mindfulness, and goodwill, kindness, uh, and living in a monastery where this is, this is just, you know, has been perfected, where this perfect monastery. Now that's an ideal, but that's not the way things are. For example, Amravati is like this. And so it's not, you know, and when I say this, I'm not saying criticize, I'm just pointing. So, you know, what, when you, when you, your view, your feeling about Amravati, how you perceive or emotionally feel about this monastery is like this. Yeah, so I'm not saying you know, how you should or shouldn't feel or how to, you know, that we should change it, make it better or, you know, do anything to it, just recognize it's like this. And then it changes. You know, one's emotional reactions to living in this community uh, change according to conditions. So discerning this, all conditions are impermanent. And then the, the skillful way of, of using a situation, a monastic form and this particular place we can criticize it, you know, a lot of, lot of you probably spend a lot of time criticizing it, how you'd like it to be and wish it were. <clears throat> but this is not Dhamma, this is, you know, personal emotional reactions to, to, your, to, the, to the conditions here. So that's not refuge in Buddha, that's maybe personal sense of what's fair and right and wrong, good and bad. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in uh, 
the Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering. So when, when I don't want Amravati to be like this, when I get critical and want it to be otherwise, I actually, and I'm not aware of this, then I, then I suffer. So this is like applying that to, to the to one's experience here. You know, I su- if I suffer here, it's because I'm attached to something, or maybe I want it to. I I don't want it to change. I want to hold it like this and not let it change at all. So I suffer because I see it changing, and I'm and, and I'm getting old, and I'm losing my ability to control it. And it's changing in a way that I don't particularly want it to change. And I suffer. So then this awareness of this dukkha for his noble truth. Investigate. Yoniso manasikar. There's got marvelous words in Pali. Getting to the root. What, is, what, what am I attached to? You know, and so I might be attached to very good ideas and and high standards and principles and and whatnot, but that attachment out of ignorance, out of habit, is the cause of suffering. Now you have to prove this to yourself. You can you know, investigate in the sense of yoni so manasikar investigating. I want the conditions here to be different than the way they are, or I want to sustain it like it is and not let it change, is like this. It's about me, what I like and don't like, what I think is right and what I believe in. Maybe it's very noble, you know, protecting things, the tradition, uh, maybe it's views about purity and so forth, or about fairness and how things should be. Modern life, modern Britain, modern society. Uh, it might be full of reasonable, good ideas. So it's not denying that. Uh, on the, you know, on both of it, it's, um, you know, altruism or righteousness or it's the sense of loyalty or, um, you know, purity sense of purity and, and duty. But it's discerning that, that these are conditions and attaching to them is the cause of dukkha. So then the attitude, the insight, letting go, which is not, not a dismissal, but it's seeing the, the suffering of attachment to condition phenomena. So you know, doing this, grasping can any condition is the cause of suffering. And it creates a sense of self, grasping condition creates a sense of, you know, being right or wrong or one can get indignant or righteous angry or upset. We can be very judgmental. 
So in, in the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this is, this is the refuge, this is awareness, this is Buddha. I'm not imagining anything right now, I'm just aware. Now this is real, this awareness brings me to reality. There's no sense of me in it. But if, if that sense of me arises, there's awareness, a discerning of a condition. You know, if, if, if the, you know, this sense of what I think and what I want arises, there's an awareness, it discerns it. This awareness discerns the sense of me and mine, myself. It discerns the feelings of love and hate, like and dislike, fear, anxiety, despair, boredom, greed, lust. It discerns, it's, it's not making any problem about it, it just knows that a condition, this realm we're living in, this experience through these human forms is like this, being a human, having a human body is like this. <clears throat> Getting old, the body aging is like this. And the, and the different problems, difficulties that come with the aging process and, and the vipaka kama ripening and which is like this. But the refuge is in Dhamma, which is awareness. Knowing, discerning. So this, this uh, <clears throat> unconditioned conditions, this is, the, this is the paradigm. To me, this is a perfect, perfect paradigm that I can see. Uh, is not very recognizable in any other religion. And you hear, you know, you go to these interfaith things and, and hear, you know, listen to Radio 4 on Sunday about the religious programs and then there's problems about in Christianity and whatnot, you know, and Islam, uh, you know, because of the, uh, you know, they, it's not clear the paradigm tends to be around belief in, in the Creator God. You know, so that is, uh, you know, that is the kind of basis for, without seeing that that's a condition in itself. Belief in Creator God is uh, from a sense of I, I uh, you know, this person believe in this Creator God or I don't believe in this Creator God. I think it's rubbish. I believe, or uh, that Christianity is better than Islam, or you know, Catholicism is a purer form than than Protestantism. Or go on like that. These are all of it. You know, whether you you know you might prefer one view over another, but discerning is that it is the faith and Quranita. So that intensity of, of attachment to views, one sees the suffering, how, how you're stuck into this samsaric realm endlessly kind of, 
you know, holding on to views, opinions, without realizing what you're doing, without a really awakened, with awakenness or wisdom, no matter how good the views are, there's not, you say, there's not an awakened knowing, a discernment of attachment to view, no matter how right the view might be. So then the, the, in the Buddha Dhamma then it's the, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Therefore there is an escape from the born, the created, the formed, the unconditioned, the conditioned. Now this is, this is, this, there is, there is, this is a, you know, it's like a fact. This is real. This is not just speculation or abstract metaphysical theorizing or philosophistry or anything like that. It's just, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now when I think those, that this, this passage, there is the unborn, immediately through, through investigating Dhamma, there's a recognition of this unborn, it's real every time. You know, it's not something comes and goes dependent on peace and quiet and how I feel and everything, you know, going, everything's hunky-dory. You know, whether I'm sick or, you know, people are persecuting me or whatever, everybody's complaining about something, you know, get emotional reactions. But this, there is the unborn, this is the refuge. Sustaining that. Now, say if you once you recognize it, you you know you you surrender to it. There's no point in me trying to do anything with it. Just keep recognizing it, trusting, listening. No matter how strong my emotional experiences might be, or how boring or fed up or dispirited, you know, they can be strong emotions or weak emotions or, but all conditions, no matter what, still are anicca. Now if you trust this, in this sense of sadha, then more and more you realize there's nothing to fear. That death is nothing to fear, death of the body, that, that you know, there's, fear is all around uh, ignorance, attachment to conditioned phenomena. So we are frightened creatures, you know, look at the animals, you look at the squirrels and the rats and, the, and all that, and, and the fish, you know, the heron, you know, the, outside my cootie, this heron comes sometimes, tries to, to uh, eat my fish in my pond, and I'm very possessive. I don't want this heron to eat my fish. <laughs> but if heron has to survive too, he has to have something to eat. But it's scared too, because I just have to come and peer at the door, open the door, and it flies off. It's afraid of me. The fish, once they know the heron's there, they get, they're terrified. They all swim right down to the bottom of the pond won't come up for several days. 
This is a, you know, this is a survival mechanisms of the conditioned realm, law of the jungle, survival of the fittest. There's nothing wrong with this, it's not a judgment, but, but this is why we, this is a, a, fear, a realm of fear, the conditioned realm, planetary life, earthly existence is frightening. The earthquake in China, isn't it? That's terrifying. It isn't more terrifying than an earthquake. I'm from an earthquake zone in the United States, the Northwest, that whole West Coast is, is right on the, a fault line. So Seattle used to have terrible earthquakes. They're terrifying because you, you, there's nothing you can do. And you can't blame it on anybody. It's the earth. Not somebody's fault, like the mayor or the governor, or <laughs> it affects everyone equally. But it's frightening because it is, you know, the sense of I am the body and my house, my family, my this, my that. Everything that is me and mine that I want to, that I want to hold on to and protect is being threatened in an earthquake in a way that I have no control or don't know what to do about it. Well, imagine, the, you know, the Chinese, what they've been through in Sichuan province. It's terrible, sounds horrible, what, you know, this earthquake where 150,000 people have died, you know, old buildings collapsed, cities collapsing and whatnot. That is frightening. And it is, you know, if you're there, you know, it is definitely frightening. You know, we just hope it'll never happen here. But this realm is like this, isn't it? You can be in an automobile accident, have a heart attack. Things that, you know, there's this possibility of physical death at every moment. That's possible within, as long as, you know, this body is functioning. And so identity with the body is the reason why we, we are frightened. Uh, so this identity with the body is not, we're trying to disidentify, not believing I'm not the body, but recognizing. This awareness is not the body. Awareness of the body is like this. The body can't be aware The body is conditioned phenomena. It has its own, you know, karmic tendencies. It's not aware on this level. It operates according to the laws of karma. But awareness of the body is like this. So this awareness of the body means that with relationship, when there's no need, we see that there's no need to hold on, identify, reaffirm the sense of I am my body. Because when I do that, then I'm frightened too. A lot to be afraid of if I, you know, on a physical level, uh, that uh, I can imagine even sitting here, nice safe place like this, I can imagine all kinds of dreadful things happening to me physically.
But this is where, you know, you, you keep investigating this, this which is aware of the body, because at this moment, there's awareness of this body. You know, this body is in the consciousness at this moment. I feel it, you know, the sitting, the temperature. is like this. So this, this awareness embraces the body. This awareness is the refuge then, rather than the body. Because when you take refuge in the body, you've set yourself up for suffering. You're going to get old, get sick, and die. And who knows what happens when you die? You know, you can imagine anything. You know, heaven, hell, oblivion, reincarnation. People argue, you know. Remember in Perth, the Theosophical Society. <laughs> and they had, uh, used to give retreats in Perth, Australia. And they, the Theosophical Society had two branches there because one, they couldn't agree on what happens with after you die. Whether when you die, if you can be reborn at, at a lower level, like a, an animal or a frog. And the other side believes absolutely that if you're human, then you die, you're born at a higher level or the same level. You're born human or devada or higher level. And so they split because they couldn't agree on it. <laughs> you know, like which end of the egg should you eat first? It's just, you know, it is of no importance really to this moment what you believe in. But it is, whatever you choose to believe in, you can recognize it is like this. It is, it arises, you can't sustain it, it arises and ceases. And this is just honest investigation, isn't it? It's not, it's not judging, criticizing, or making any critical comments about right and wrong, but it is discerning, knowing the conditions are this way. Discerning, recognizing, realizing the unconditioned is this, awareness itself. So anyway, I'll leave you with this to reflect on. Uh, I expect all of you to assiduously investigate the Four Noble Truths, the uh, dependent origination, uh, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and the Abhidhamma while I am away. And when I, <laughs> when I come back, I'm going to put you through a rigid and very uh, difficult examination. So maybe you hope I don't come back. <laughs> well, I just, but this is, uh, you know, this is continuous encouragement. So it's not like teaching. It's encouraging you. You know, it's like saying, wake up, you know, you can do it. There's nothing you can't, I'm not asking you to do something impossible. I'm not asking you to
to believe what I'm saying or to do, you know, to, to grasp anything I say. And so from this emptiness, it's like reaching you on this intuitive conscious plane, you know, this reality where, where you know, where awakening takes place. You suddenly recognize and we have an insight rather than just arguing about whether what I'm saying is right, wrong, true or false. Now if you want to do that, you're quite welcome to, but that's not what I'm encouraging you to do. Is, uh, you know, is to not to try to figure out whether I'm right or wrong or all, you know, totally off the mark or this is real Dhamma or I'm just Ajahn Samedoism or whatever. Is, but it is, you know, the words are conditioned. But they're aiming at, at awakening consciousness, not to condition you toward belief or becoming anything. This is my uh, intention. So I offer this for your investigation. Uh-huh.